We'll hear argument first this morning in number 91-1326, the District of Columbia versus the Greater Washington Board of Trade. Uh, Ms. Muraski. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. When state workers' compensation laws were enacted beginning some 80 years ago, an active employee's compensation consisted principally, if not exclusively, of wages for hours worked. Times have changed. In recent years, an increasingly important component of an employee's compensation is comprised of benefits in lieu of higher wages, including health insurance benefits for employees and their families. In 1974, Congress recognized the importance of non-wage benefits when it enacted the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. In ERISA, Congress imposed a modest level of regulation on virtually all employers who provide non-wage benefits to employees and it preempted state laws relating to such regulated plans. At the same time, however, Congress expressly declined to regulate employers insofar as they had benefit plans maintained solely to comply with state workers' compensation, unemployment compensation, and disability insurance laws. And Congress allowed state regulation of such plans to continue. The issue in this case concerns the intersection of ERISA's preemption and workers' compensation provisions. The case arises because the District of Columbia amended its workers' compensation law in 1990 to take into account modern compensation practices by providing some level of protection to employees and their families against the loss of health insurance when employees are killed or injured on the job. The Equity Amendment Act requires all employers who provide health insurance benefits to their active workers to provide equivalent health insurance benefits for up to 52 weeks um, when their employees are eligible to receive workers' compensation. The court below ruled that although ERISA permits the states, the states to require health insurance as part of workers' compensation, ERISA does not permit the states to regulate those benefits in the usual workers' compensation way by pegging them to benefits employees receive as active workers. The District of Columbia believes that this decision is wrong. It believes that the traditional loss replacement method it has adopted for determining health insurance benefits in its workers' compensation law, no more implicates the concerns of ERISA than would the freestanding law that the court below correctly ruled would clearly be permissible under this court's decision in Shaw versus Delta Airlines. In Shaw, this court unanimously ruled that a state disability insurance benefits law was not preempted by ERISA. In that ruling, the court explained the relates to language of the ERISA preemption provision in two ways. First, the court said that relates to ordinarily means a reference to or a benefit or a connection with uh, an employee benefit plan. On the other hand, the court said that there may be some state actions that affect ERISA covered plans in too remote, peripheral, or tenuous a way to warrant a finding that the law relates to the ERISA covered plan. For the reasons that follow, we do not believe that the Equity Amendment Act relates to ERISA-covered plans. The Act does not refer to ERISA-covered plans. Instead, its referent is employees and benefits. It applies to all employers in the district, uh, including employers who are not subject to ERISA at all. It does not regulate the content or administration of ERISA-covered plans and it does not require employers to alter in any way their ERISA-covered plans. Is that because uh, you can provide health insurance coverage without having an ERISA plan? You simply buy a, a policy, group policy for your employees, and that's not ERISA-covered? Uh, my understanding that is that uh, governments and churches are exempt from ERISA coverage. Uh, all private employers uh, are, are, are not exempt from ERISA. So uh, if an employer, say, having 15 people, uh, simply wants to cover his employees with health insurance and buys a group insurance policy, that's covered by ERISA? Yes. If it is a private employer, um, he must... Uh, well, then it does, it does seem that your statute, uh, the statutory scheme here... Uh, uh, does impinge on uh, ERISA-covered plans in almost all cases in that the employer's uh, liability must be determined 
by the contents of the plan. And any time he changes or the, she changes the plan in any way, the extent of liability under the statute changes. It seems to me that's a, uh, in effect incorporates an ERISA plan into your statute. I don't believe it does. I think for essentially two reasons. Um, first, let us assume uh, that instead of ERISA being passed in 1974 and the Equity Amendment Act being passed in 1990, the reverse was true. And so for 16 years, um, the Board of Trade, uh, for example, has been paying uh, health insurance as workers' compensation because, that, because the Board of Trade otherwise voluntarily provides uh, the benefits to his employers. Uh, ERISA then is passed, say, in, in 1990, and suddenly the Board of Trade has responsibilities to the federal government, uh, reporting, disclosure, and fiduciary responsibilities insofar as his health insurance benefits for active workers are concerned. Um, but I think this illustrates that although there is some kind of connection, if you will, between our law, because it, it, it governs health plans, yeah. and ERISA, because it also governs other health plans, uh, in fact, it really operates independently of ERISA and is in no way dependent on ERISA. My second it answer... It doesn't say that it has to depend on ERISA. The language of the statute is... That, uh, that, that they, are, they are preempted insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan, not to ERISA, but any employee benefit plan described in Section 1003A. That's and it doesn't say relate only to employee benefit plans covered by 1003A, which is, which is the argument you're making, that it covers ERISA, it covers ERISA-governed plans, but it also covers other plans. It doesn't say relate only to such plans. It says relate to such plans. And, and you must acknowledge that the benefits here are measured by the level of benefits provided in the, in the plans, in ERISA plans. Right? They are measured, the benefits that our law requires are measured by benefits employers otherwise require. And including, are, including require in ERISA plans. In some cases, I will agree. The... the um, and the statute says, insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan. Well, I think what you're, you're getting to is the meaning of relate to. And I don't think this court has ever ruled, um, it certainly hasn't ruled, um, that any reference to an ERISA-covered plan um, or any connection to uh, an ERISA-covered plan means that the statute is invalid. What it has done is to preempt laws, um, and only laws, that have one or more of the following features. Uh, that they regulate the content of a plan, the administration of a plan, uh, a law that interferes with uh, the administration of a plan, uh, or calculation of benefits under a plan, a law that provides a, uh, a state law that provides a cause of action for violating ERISA's provisions governing employee benefit plans, a law that imposes reporting, disclosure, and fiduciary re uh, requirements on ERISA-covered plans. Sure. We, we've never had one that's exactly like this, or else we wouldn't have taken this case. But, but what, what, you, what you're saying is that it doesn't relate to the plan, even though it sets up a scheme in which, when you increase benefits under your ERISA plan, the effect will automatically be, because of the D.C. law, that you must increase benefits under workman's compensation. I find it hard to say that that doesn't relate to the plan in a well, fairly close and substantial way. Now, maybe it's a bad idea. Maybe the law shouldn't be written that way, but it does say relate to any plan. I think the fact that certain employee uh, benefits provided to active workers in the district um, are subject to ERISA um, doesn't change the relationship between our statute um, and those benefits. The focus of our statute is really on benefits, whether they're provided pursuant to ERISA-covered plans or whether they're not. If Congress should decide tomorrow, for example, um, to abolish ERISA insofar as employee welfare benefits are concerned, um, our law could still be in effect, and it would operate independently of ERISA. I mean, that's part of it. It does operate independently of ERISA. Its focus is on benefits. Well, that would be true in the state uh, wrongful discharge uh, action that was uh, 
before the court in Ingersoll ran. You could say the same thing. The uh, uh, cause of action, uh, the termination tort, uh, preceded ERISA, succeeds ERISA, but while it's in force, it relates to ERISA. No, I think that Ingersoll ran is a very different case. Um, in Ingersoll ran, this court emphasized that if uh, that if ERISA had never been passed, um, if there had not been this pension plan that was protected by ERISA, the cause of action would not have existed. And in fact, what the employee was trying to do there was to use a state common law cause of action to enforce a federally created right, i.e. the right not to be terminated by an employer in order so that an employer can avoid his, his responsibilities under ERISA. Our law is different. It is based upon, I think you need to look at the common law background of our law. Our law replaces a common, you know, a tort system in which um, an employee who was injured on the job, if he could prove negligence and there were no affirmative defenses available, um, could recover as damages. Um, Ms. Morosky, I thought the court said in the Ingersoll-Rand case that a state law that is premised on the existence of an employee benefit plan covered by ERISA is preempted. And I just don't see how you get around Ingersoll Rand. Are you asking us to overrule that case? I'm not asking you to rule that, overrule that case. Our statute is not premised uh, on ERISA-covered plans. What it is premised on is benefits employers provide otherwise to their active employees. Well, it's premised on it to the extent that it's uh, measured by that is ERISA true. plan benefits. Well, it is measured by whatever benefits employers provide to their employers, whether or not these employers are otherwise subject to ERISA. But to go back to the, 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 the workers, the, the common law analogy I was giving you, I think this would will uh, make very distinct the difference between the common law action that our statute is trying to replace and the common law action uh, at issue in Ingersoll Rand. Um, let's look at a state such as Texas. Um, in which workers' compensation is not mandatory. Um, and employers may opt out of the workers' compensation system, but they are otherwise subject to, to the common law uh, tort remedies. Everybody who has filed a brief in this case agrees um, that in a case in which the employer uh, is subject to the common law that uh, workers' compensation basically replaces, that worker may require, if he's injured on the job, uh, not only his wages, but all lost benefits, including health insurance benefits. Everybody agrees upon that. Our, our uh, statute, uh, what it does, I think, is to make uh, liability attach when there is a work-related injury. Remedy is measured separately. Um, but just as in the common law workers' compensation law, liability attaches if there's negligence. Here it simply attaches uh, if there's a work-related injury. We're just measuring a remedy here. And if I could follow up, there was a, um, a recent um, district court decision, I think, that um, may help to answer your question, also illustrate some of the problems um, that the states are facing in this area. Um, this is a case from Texas, I think it's called Urine Against Wyatt Cafeterias, uh, in which you had an employer who opted out of the workers' compensation plan. Uh, workers' compensation law. The law did impose some requirements on employers who opted out. Um, an employee of, of Wyatt had a slip and fall and was injured. She brought in a negligence action against Wyatt cafeterias. Um, and the court, uh, the employer argued um, that the common law cause of action was preempted by ERISA because the employer had included in its ERISA-covered plan a provision that governed job-related injuries. The trial court in that case first concluded that this little ERISA plan, in effect, preempted, uh, preempted um, the workers' compensation alternative. On reconsideration, um, what the court did was to say, look, this is, you know, since the employers opted out of the workers' compensation system, this, this case is no different from an ordinary tort case um, and 
the fact that the em- employer has uh, tried to, I guess, evade its responsibilities under workers' compensation law by passing this modest uh, provision in its ERISA-covered plan um, isn't enough to take it. You know, the state law still applies. Uh, what the court did on reconsideration um, also was to say that uh, the plan benefits could be considered, um, but only as an offset to the damages remedies, but that employers cannot set up plans for the purpose of, 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 of evading uh, lawful state requirements. But to go back to what I um, was saying, um, the court has um, never held a law like this one preempted. Uh, and it seems to me that, that the court should not attribute to Congress, and in, it, when, when everyone, I think, concedes except for the United States, um, attribute to Congress uh, an intention of, of permitting employers um, to require health benefits, permitting employers to require health benefits as part of workers' compensation but then um, saying that the only way you can do it is in a way that is administratively difficult and that doesn't comport with traditional workers' compensation principles. Uh, And that's what the D.C. Circuit has held here. Unless there's further questions, I'll... But you you would agree uh, that this is a covered plan, not an exempt plan, uh, so that the... Analysis of the of the Shaw case, uh, as given in the respondent's brief, is is essentially correct. Would you concede that point? Let me say two things. Um, the Board of Trades plan, uh, health insurance plan for active workers, is an ERISA covered plan. However, the benefits that we require. Um, pursuant to workers' compensation um, can be provided through a separate plan solely for that purpose. Well, but in, that's different than in Shaw, because in Delta versus Shaw, there was an exempt plan. And, here we and have... Here, and here there is not an exempt plan. Yes, I think we do have an, we have an exempt plan. The, um, uh, the, the workers' compensation plan that the employer sets up. Well, but not, not, not the one that arguably preempts, preempts uh, this statute. The health, the health insurance coverage is not exempt. Well, I think health insurance coverage um, can be required um, either pursuant to, uh, well, Health insurance cover, uh, coverage uh, may be part of either ERISA-covered plans or ERISA-exempt plans. But it's the former in this case. No, I think that our, the, um, uh, the, the workers' compensation law here... Uh, I'm came, talking about the employer's plan here in question. The employer's plan here, so as far as I know, the employer's plan here... Uh, simply provided um, benefits to active workers. Uh, that plan was is subject to ERISA's reported. It is not exempt. That is not an exempt plan, as far as I know. Thank you. To put it to put it in a cruder way, if you lose on the question of whether it relates to, you lose the case. Do you concede that? No, I don't. Um, as you know, I, we have. And I guess I didn't understand your last answer. Okay, I, we have made two alternative arguments. Well, that's what I thought at first, and then I thought perhaps you were modifying your position. Do you agree that um, uh, that the the uh, the plan to about which the relation the relationship to which we are arguing uh, is a plan which is covered by 4A of the title? The employer's underlying plan. As far as I know, is covered by ERISA. Okay, um, it's covered. And, is not a all right, if it's covered by ERISA, then it seems to me that if you lose on the relationship argument, you have nothing left. Well, we have made two arguments. Um, um, the first is uh, based on the R. R. Donnelly case and its interpretation of, of Shaw, um, and on this court's uh, description uh, of Shaw in Metropolitan Life. Um, and there the court seemed to say 
that when we have a workers' compensation statute at issue, we have a two-step approach. Uh, the first step is whether it relates to ERISA-covered plans, uh, and if so, uh, whether it is a whether uh, uh, an employer can comply with the state law by maintaining uh, a plan solely for that purpose. Uh, and here, so are you are you saying uh, that the uh, the description and uh, I'm I'm reading from uh, 514A, I guess here that the uh, that the, the two conditions stated in the following description relate to different plans. Um, it says that, the, that ERISA shall supersede any and all state laws insofar as they may now or hereafter relate to any employee benefit plan described in Section 4A. If you lose the relationship argument, mm-hmm. we're talking about a plan described in 4A. Mm-hmm. We agree there. Uh, and not exempt uh, under 4B. Are you saying that the not the phrase not exempt under 4B relates not to the ERISA covered plan, but to the requirement of your statute? I'm not certain I understand your question. All right. It seems to me that the description here, described in Section 4A and not exempt under Section 4B, Relates or um, is 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 uh, is speaking to this is referring to the same plan. Do you agree with that? The same plan. Right. In other words, there's a there's an ERISA plan covered by 4A. You concede that if you lose the relationship argument, we've got a an ERISA plan covered by 4A. No, well, what I would say is two things. Um, well, let me is, is is that correct? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's correct, isn't it? You concede that if we, if you lose the relating to argument, the plan to which this relates is covered by 4A. I don't, um, in, in, in part um, because it seems to me, uh, well, the Second Circuit has interpreted Shaw as saying, uh, even though it relates to an ERISA-covered plan, um, if you have a workers' compensation law, the law treats that differently, uh, and if an employer can comply comply with the state law by maintaining a separate plan solely for that purpose. That state law is not preempted. But, Ms. Moransky, you have to get that from the statute somehow. I, you know, I, I understand your second argument, but, but I thought your second argument, I thought the way you get there is that you tie it into the relates to. And you say it doesn't relate to unless you, unless you comply with this two-step process rather than a one-step process. Then you have some statutory language you, you can hang the result on. But once you give away the relates to point, what other statutory text can you possibly rely on for that two-step process? It's just as though we're, we're going to sit mm-hmm. here and announce out of nowhere that uh, despite what the statute says, we're going to impose a two-step process. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. Or we shouldn't do that. Well, I think that um, certainly this court in Metropolitan Life um, described the disability benefits law in Shaw as one that related to ERISA-covered plans. And the court just as clearly in Shaw said that that statute was not preempted. You need a two-step process. And a two-step process. So, so it, does, it does ultimately go back to the relates to. You're saying it doesn't relate to unless you comply with the two-step process. That's how I understood you, right? Well, the way I, um, I understood it was it, even if it relates to, and there, um, that it doesn't make any difference if you can... Uh, maintain a plan solely for the purpose of complying with the law. And that would distinguish Shaw. Why? Why? Where, where do we get authority to say that? Just because we don't like the result otherwise? Well, I think the court said it in Metropolitan Life in Shaw. Yeah. But was that an exemption case? It was, wasn't it? Um, Shaw case? certainly was, and Metropolitan Life was, a, was an insurance case. Yes, and... But uh, even if, I suppose that some plans uh, that relate to are nevertheless exempt. That some, some statutes. Some statutes, yeah. No, it's some, some statutes that relate to ERISA-covered plans are nevertheless exempt. Yes. That, I think, would cover the, you know, the saving clause mm-hmm. um, things. And, and if you interpret uh, Shaw uh, in the way that the Second Circuit did, um, that's also true. But I, I think that maybe the critical thing here is to, to, you have to look at the words relate to 
and it can't mean um, every reference and every connection um, to ERISA-covered plans. Uh, for example, state in, uh, income tax laws, uh, well, ERISA benefit plans play a, a huge role in our society now. They have economic consequences that Congress must deal with in laws other than ERISA. The, uh, you say uh, one of your arguments is that uh, this employer could comply with the District of Columbia law by a separate plan, yes. a plan separate from an ERISA plan. Mm -hmm. But to comply with it, that separate plan would have to nevertheless the benefits would nevertheless have to be keyed to the ERISA plan. Would have to be keyed to benefits, but let me... And so that, uh, that separate plan would, uh, would, uh, the statute would the statute would nevertheless relate to the ERISA plan through the separate plan because, the benefit because of the benefit levels. I think that that's construing relates to too broadly. And let me just address the concept of plan for, for a second. It seems to me that um, plan, in the case of an ERISA-covered plan, is a plan that complies with, uh, it's a document. And it's a plan that sets forth uh, the benefits that are being provided to your active workers. Uh, it complies with whatever regulations ERISA imposes on that plan. You send it to the Department of Labor. Uh, and that's, that's, that, that's that ERISA-covered plan. In the employer's worker, workers' compensation plan, you have a separate document in which you set forth the benefits that are required by a workers' compensation law. And that plan must be subject to the you know, reporting and disclosure requirements of the state law. But they're two, they're two separate documents. Um, and the fact that uh, the benefits... Um, in the ERISA-covered document may be the same as the benefits in the workers' compensation document um, doesn't, doesn't constitute a sufficient relationship to. I may reserve the rest of my time for rebuttal. Very well, Ms. Muraski. Uh, Mr. Posto, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. As respondent sees this case, it is simply an issue of whether a state may discriminate against an employer based on the fact that an employer gives health benefits to its employees. And the answer to that is found in the ERISA statute. Congress made a decision that any state law that relates to an That's ERISA an interesting plan. suggestion, the word discriminate. If they, is, aren't the benefits under the plan triggered to the wage rates they pay? They pay? The, the, no, not. I don't mean under the plan, under the workman's compensation yes. scheme. C Congress, so that if you pay higher wages to your employees, you'll have to pay higher benefits. Yes. With so that discriminates against employers who pay high wages. But not, uh, not based on their ERISA-covered plan. What Congress did is, and it made a conscious decision, it said states... Well, it's can, anybody who gives, gives health benefits, not just ERISA-covered plans. Yes, but health benefits are an ERISA-covered plan. But you could give health benefits without having an ERISA-covered plan. No, Your Honor. Couldn't you buy insurance for your employees without uh, having an ERISA-covered plan? But that insurance is a covered ERISA plan. The giving of the benefits, whether through self-insurance or insurance, is a covered ERISA plan under Section 4A. So that, Your Honor is correct, the state, what Congress did, and it's sort of neat, what they said was, you, states, you can do whatever you want in workers' comp with one limitation. You cannot interfere with, you cannot relate to a covered ERISA plan. So you can judge it on wages. As a circuit court below held, you can say you have to give X number of health benefits. Yes, what if, what if they say they figured the premiums for the health benefits were $10 an hour for the employees or something? Could they say that we will treat for purposes of workman's compensation uh, we will require that you treat an equivalent of raise your salary level that much for purposes of compensating or figuring the workman's compensation rate? I, I don't believe so, Your Honor. As this Court has held, the analysis, and the, the question is essentially, does the law still relate to yeah. a covered ERISA plan? This Court has held that if it's a general application statute that has only a remote or peripheral effect, then it doesn't relate to it. But if you single out the covered ERISA plan, this Court has always held if you single out the covered ERISA plan, the law relates to it, even if it has a good effect. So that in Mackey, 
this Court uh, struck down a state law that actually exempted the covered ERISA plan from garnishment because it singled it out so that to any extent that the state wants to make liability, whether through equivalent benefit, whether through uh, uh, increasing the average wage, to the extent they single out the covered ERISA benefits, there's preemption. And I think the reason for that is Congress recognized the natural effect that if, in fact, you're going to make employers' workers' compensation liability increase, the natural tendency is employer will therefore decrease their uh, covered health insurance. Well, if, that's the same. They also wouldn't pay higher wages because they might have to pay higher workmen's comp. Yeah, but, but, but the connection is direct, and that is that the employer knows every time I change my covered health insurance, or self-insurance, it's going to cost me money in my workers' compensation scheme. So, sure, if it was if an... the wages, the same thing's true, too. But, but the wages are, are, would be... Well, first of all, the wages would be a general application statute, not specific to ERISA. I think your answer is that Congress wanted to encourage health insurance plans. It didn't want to encourage high wages, in particular. Well, the... the they, they, yes. Well, I don't know that they dealt with wages, but they did, did deal with the health insurance, and they wanted to encourage health insurance. I don't know what their view is on wages. Um, so that any state law that specifically deals with a covered ERISA plan, I mean, Congress made a decision. If they wanted to say, look, anytime there's a conflict, workers' compensation always prevails over the ERISA plan, it would have been very easy. They could have just stuck it in uh, to Section 514B. But instead, they made a conscious decision. We're going to let workers' compensation out of our reporting requirements, out of our fiduciary requirements, which made sense because workers' comp usually has their own laws that, that regulate those things. But they would not go so far as to allow them to relate to a covered ERISA plan because to do that would then discourage the employers to give those covered benefits to begin with. And, and I think it's that result is unavoidable from the statutory language. I think, as your questioning makes clear, the problem with Shaw is that, one, the Shaw uh, um, statute did not relate to a covered ERISA plan. It dealt with a disability law, and it did not in any way relate to a covered ERISA plan. So it is simply not applicable. And even if uh, this, uh, uh, the court would have told that, as uh, Justice Scalia noted, there's nothing in the statute that allows for any type of exception, if you will, to the relates to language. And again, if Congress wanted to do that, it could have put workers' compensation in Section 514B, and it, and it did not. So suppose a state says that all employers who have more than 20 employees must provide health coverage uh, with the following minimum benefits. They could do that, because then there would be no connection to the covered ERISA plan, and in the employer's mind, well, first of all, it would meet the statutory language, so therefore it, it would... Well, in each case, you'd have to examine the ERISA plan to determine whether or not it met with the requirements of the statute. So it would be a relation in that I don't in that so, Your sense, Honor. because under the hypothetical statute, you would be immune from liability. Suppose there was a, a punitive sanction for refusal to do this. You'd be immune from the liability depending on an interpretation of the ERISA plan. It relates in that sense, it seems to me. You know, maybe I misunderstood your question. I thought you were referring to the, the type of statute Justice Wald said would be permissible, which is you have to give X level of benefits. No mention of the covered, no mention of your health insurance. You, you, you have to give health benefits which meet the following specified minimums. Yes, and the state in this workers' compensation law specifies what those minimums are. It's not workers' compensation. It's the hypotheticals that implies all employers must give health coverage. Oh, general, irrespective gen, of workers' gen, gen, comp? Yes, general medical well, coverage no. for all, all employees okay, have more than 20 employees. Then that, that statute would be preempted because the giving of those benefits... So a state cannot require that of all employees, of all employers? Irrespective of work injuries, they could not. No, as if they just said you have to give X level of benefits, giving those benefits is a covered ERISA plan. Under, under Section 4A's definition, so therefore the law that required it would relate to a covered ERISA plan and therefore would be uh, preempted. Now, if what they wanted to say is in their workers' compensation law, they said just for work injuries, we're going to give X level of benefits, then that would be permissible because limiting it to work injuries would make it an exempt plan under Section 4B. And if it, they then didn't tie that level and trigger the liability to a covered ERISA plan, they would, they would be, they would be all right. Do, but in this case... Do we, do we have to um, accept that my hypothetical uh, would 
be preempted in, in order to rule in your favor in this case? No, Your Honor. I really don't think that issue is really addressed in our case. Our, our case is that we have what, as everyone has conceded, a, the, the health insurance is a covered ERISA plan. So um, there, there's no question as to whether whatever it is out there is a covered ERISA plan. It is. What about a state law that says uh, workman's compensation award uh, shall be uh, uh, reduced by the uh, uh, there, there shall be credited against the amount due from the employer for workman's comp? Of the value of any health benefits uh, provided by, by the work by, by the employer. Well, I, I'm afraid to concede that I think that'd be very problematic for the employer, even though it obviously benefits the employer. This this uh, you have to go for in that problematic. We're just bad under your theory, isn't it? Well, I, I guess if I would if I had that case and I had to argue it, what I would argue was that while it is it, it, your hypothetical is it specifically relates to the ERISA uh, um, plan. Right. It's a workman's comp plan. Very reasonably says, well, you know, if a person is is getting uh, uh, health benefits that are of great value from the employer, that should be credited against the amount of workman's compensation that the employer has to pay. I think Your Honor is correct. That law would be struck down because, to the minute it becomes specific to the ERISA plan, I think preemption by this court's uh, uh, rulings is mandatory. You have to say that if if you're. Yes, I, I agree, Your Honor. As Tell much me. as you've heard it say so. Tell me again, if you've already uh, said it, what, uh, if this employer uh, uh, adopted a separate plan from his uh, ERISA plan uh, and said this is for the specific purpose of, solely for the purpose of complying with the workman's compensation law of the District of Columbia, now, why would it be uh, preempted? Uh, this is Justice Kennedy's hypothetical yeah. where, well, if they said... All, all employers had to give X level of benefits, those health, and health benefits. Under ERISA's definition, uh, 3.1 and 4A, those benefits are a covered ERISA plan. In other words, whether the employer does it voluntarily or the state mandates it, I, they would come within those definitions. Yeah, but a, a, a plan that is maintained solely for the purpose of complying with applicable workman's compensation laws or unemployment compensation or disability insurance laws okay, I, I think are, are, are exempt. Yes, that's just, I think your example, unless I'm mixing up, is slightly different than Justice Kennedy's. Your example well, is... whether it is or not, you, you get my question. Yes, okay. If, in fact, they limited that health benefits solely to people who are, on worker, who are injured workers, then I would agree with Your Honor, it would not be preempted. Uh, even, even, though the, even though under that plan, the benefits would be tied to the level of benefits under the ERISA plan? No. The minute they tie the benefits to the covered ERISA plan, the, mi the minute they... Oh, I know, but this, uh, uh, th there's no question that, uh, that this District of Columbia law is a part of the workman's compensation law. Yes. The, the, this provision about, uh, uh, about the level of benefits is part of the law. Yes. But and it's, and uh, this, uh, this separate plan is solely for the purpose of complying with that law. Yes. But as this court held in Elisa, Section 4B saves plans, not laws. Your Honor is correct. The, plan, the benefits that they require is, a, is, a, is a, an exempt plan because it is, they're requiring benefits that are to comply with the workers' compensation. But as this court held in Elisa, the mere fact that the plan is an exempt plan doesn't mean the law that created it is saved from a risk of preemption. Then you have to look at, is that law... Does that law in any way relate to a covered ERISA plan? And by tying the benefits, in this case, to the health insurance, they may, that law then relates to a covered ERISA plan. Well, if, if, if a, a statute provides that the employer shall provide $10,000, some of the health insurance for all of his employees, something along the lines of Justice Kennedy's hypothetical, uh, at the time the law is passed, there's no plan in existence that would provide for that, is there? No, Your Honor. So the employer has to go out and somehow put together a plan? Yes, Your Honor. And you say that ERISA, ERISA preempts that? Yes. Preempts the state law? Why? Because the benefits, whatever benefits the, the, the state required, if they dealt with, with health, and health benefits, then under the definition of 4.3.1 and 4A, those benefits that it requires are a covered ERISA plan. In other words, a covered ERISA plan is not defined as merely what the employer 
voluntarily provides. A covered ERISA plan is, is simply defined as a certain types of benefits that the employer provides, whether it's voluntary or whether it's mandated. Where did that definition come from? Section 3.1 of ERISA and 4A, which, which Your Honor, I believe is nicely set out in the government's uh, appendix. So that, that definition is, is not key to whether it's voluntary or not. It simply says if you give certain benefits, one of which is health benefits, um, and the employer provides them and it affects interstate commerce, then that is a covered ERISA plan. And you then, the, the, therefore, the state, the state cannot mandate something like that. That's correct, Your Honor. Mr. Postal, do you agree that the plan in question here is maintained solely for the purpose of complying with a state workers' comp law? Yes, Your Honor. Despite the fact that it provides, by keying uh, the, the health benefits, it provides something which it need not necessarily provide in order to comply with the workers' comp yes. law. Yes. The plan itself is maintained solely for workers' compensation, so that plan, the, the, the benefits the law requires, is an exempt plan. And for that reason, if they simply said we had to give $10,000 uh, um, a month for injured workers, then that would be permissible. But to the, the minute that In other words, it's, it's purpose rather than particular requirement that uh, the, rather than the mandatory nature or, or non-mandatory nature of any particular benefit, which, which is dispositive in your view. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it, it, it's not the purpose. It's that they tie, they trigger the liability and they, they tie the amount of the liability to a covered ERISA plan. Well, that goes to relating to, doesn't it? Yes, but, but that's the point. The law relates to a covered ERISA plan. The plan they require is an exempt plan. But by defining what that exempt plan is, they, their definition of it in the law is based on what the covered ERISA plan is, and therefore uh, it relates to a covered ERISA plan. And if I could, you're saying that the, the, the law relates to two plans. It relates to this, yes, this plan that is created in order to comply with the law, which is an exempt plan. And the fact that it relates to that makes no difference. Yes, Your Honor, that's exactly right. But it also relates to the, uh, to the ERISA-covered plan in that it's uh, the level of benefits it demands are key to that. And, yes. And that relationship subsists despite the creation of the exempt plan. Yes, Your Honor. And, and if, I, if I could address the uh, relates to aspect of it, because obviously there are some questions on that. What, uh, what would be the effect of, uh, of uh, agreeing with you that uh, this law is... Uh, is uh, Preempted. Uh, the uh, what? What would an employer pay under the? Would would the workman's compensation law then have uh, tell the employer what he has to pay if an employer if an employee is injured on the job? No, I, I think what would happen is the, the they'd have to get a new law. Well, not not really, Your Honor. First of all, the, the, the District of Columbia makes it sound as if this is a tradition. The fact is, 43 states don't do what the District of Columbia does. Six states incorporate the health benefits in the average of the wage, and three states, I, I just learned that Rhode Island has a similar law as the District of Columbia and Connecticut, um, have this equivalent benefit. 43 states have found no problem with not giving a remedy for lost health benefits. Congress has similarly, in the Longshoremen's Act in, Pep in Potomac Electric, this court held that there is no remedy for lost fringe benefits. Congress then amended the Longshoremen's Act. Not only didn't they include health benefits, they explicitly said we agree with Potomac Electric and we want to make sure it's not changed. So that it's not a traditional remedy. Um, I don't think that affects the outcome of this case, whether it's traditional or not, but I think that's an important point to make, and for two reasons. One is that most states realize that, you know, if you, if you pay people enough money not to work, they won't work. And secondly, workers' compensation is a compromised system, and that is employer gives up its, all its defenses, but in return it only gives a limited remedy. Every workers' compensation statute does not allow anything for pain and suffering. If I wanted to make, if I wanted to give a complete remedy, I would. But more importantly, Congress made a decision. And their decision was that workers' compensations would not take precedence over our protection of a covered ERISA plan. Well, if you win, uh, if, if you win, uh, uh, I suppose uh, when an employee uh, is, uh, is injured on the job, uh, he will or will not be covered by the existing plan. Well, as a practical matter, Your Honor, yeah. what will happen is that if an employee wants to continue his health insurance, he will continue it for uh, 18 months under COBRA, but he will have to pay the premium. 
And, and that, that, that also goes to this question of, of does this law relate to uh, a covered ERISA plan? And it seems to me our, our best argument is simply plain English, that to say, you know, if you have a statute that triggers liability and bases a liability on a covered ERISA plan, it has a connection with a reference to, but Congress itself agreed with that because they enacted COBRA. COBRA is part of ERISA, and COBRA provides for continuation of health benefits. And that, that was a point in the, in the government's uh, amici brief in support of us, that there could be little question that this law relates to a covered risk plan because Congress clearly showed that by enacting COBRA. The difference is Congress wanted the employees to have to pay for the uh, benefits, whereas the District of Columbia would rather have the employers pay for what it. What if an employer had a health plan in which he gave the employees an option of either participating in the plan or receiving a wage increase equivalent to the amount necessary to pay the premiums for that kind of health coverage. Could the district uh, treat that uh, uh, portion of the salary as part of the, the standard for determining compensation under workman's compensation? Well, Your Honor, as we mentioned in our, in our footnote, and I believe it was page 35, page, uh, footnote 7, if it's conceivable you could try to uh, enact a general application statute. No, so, no I'm not talking about, I'm talking about I understand the general application okay. statute. I'm talking about, say, in the employer's plan, mm -hmm. instead of itself paying the premiums for health coverage, it gave the employee the option of taking the amount of the premium as additional wages so the employee could buy his own health coverage. If they did that, could the district treat that additional increment of wages as part of the standard for determining compensation? Your Honor, I believe it, it, matter, it depends on how they word their statute. If they specifically no, said... No, this is, the statute is exactly as it is now. Oh, as it is now? Yeah. Um, and could they then take that to... Well, no, I guess you're right. You have to yeah. change the statute. Yeah. If they single out workers, the ERISA-covered benefits, they lose. There's no way they can do well, it. My, okay. but, but, do they or don't they, in my hypothetical, where the, where the employer gives the employee the option of taking increased wages or letting the employer use the same economic benefit to buy health benefits? Uh, if it depends, if the st statute said, we, you get two thirds of any any value you get from the employer. The statute would say, regardless of which option the employee takes, that amount will be used in the standard for computing benefits. But and specifically refers to an the health benefit. Well, it refers to the kind of of uh, hybrid that I've hypothesized. I think then it would be preempted. Because it, if it specifically deals Even with... Even for those employees who took the, took the wages. Yes, Your Honor. And I think it really goes back to this Court's decision in Mackey, that if, you, if a state specifically has a law that specifically deals with an ERISA-covered plan, that's the end of the discussion. It doesn't matter if it's a good law, a bad law. I mean, Mackey was a good law for, for ERISA-covered plans. What about plans. a district law that taxes the receipt of health benefits? Would that be, would that be preempted? Yes, Your Honor. I mean, I think the only, the only exception besides insurance and uh, uh, security. What about one that gives the company a deduction for paying health benefits, tax deduction? Is that preempted? I, I'm afraid, yes, Your Honor. I think to the extent, what, what co Congress made a decision, no state law, good, bad, and different, can relate to, which is defined as having a connection with or a reference to um, a covered ERISA plan. I mean, they, they could have written the statute and says, well, you know, the good laws will allow the bad ones we won't, or if it has an effect, or it deals with administration, but they, they chose not to. You want to Don't any number of states have uh, laws which measure uh, compensation by including in part of that compensation the benefits an employee receives? In workers' compensation? No, no. No. It's standard health plans. I'm not, I'm not sure. Many states have laws in which they measure the income of the employee by including, I had thought until I heard the answer to your question, including uh, benefits received from employee plans. I don't. And under your, under your view, uh, all of those statutes are preempted. Your Honor, I'm not sure. Well, well, well two things. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong in my hypothesis. Yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure you're right in your assumption. And secondly, it depends how they tax it. If it's a general across-the-board tax that says any value you get from the employer is taxed, they don't single out ERISA benefits, then I think you end up with a general application statute that has a remote... Well, wh well why? I thought the, the whole theory of your case is, is that if you have to look at the provisions of the plan in order to calculate your tax liability, it automatically really relates to the plan and it's preempted. 
No, well, I think if you sing, no, our point is if you single out the ERISA plan for special, covered ERISA plan for special treatment, then there's preemption. But, but for example, in Mackey, they had a, a garnishment law. Obviously, you can't garnish the, the... Well, but that isn't quite consistent with the answer that you gave to me and to Justice White and to the Chief Justice when we asked whether or not there could be a, a, a statute, which is a generally free-floating statute, which says you must provide the following health insurance benefits. You say, no, that's preempted because you have to look at the plan. Well, and that seems to me in, inconsistent with the answer you just gave me now about the, uh, the tax hypothetical. No, Your Honor. Maybe I need to, obviously I need to clarify that. If be, the general uh, the statute creating benefits, the benefits themselves are an ERISA covered ERISA plan. So the state is saying you must provide a covered ERISA plan, basically. Therefore, it's preempted. If it's across the board tax law, they're just saying we're taxing everything in sight. We, we're not giving any special treatment pro or con to an ERISA statute. I, I think then you get to the second question: is is the effect remote or peripheral? And if it's the, the effect is remote or peripheral, then the statute stands. But to the extent that the state does not single out the, the, the uh, ERISA plan for any special treatment, they're okay. Now, the fact is that they may swallow it up or, you know, may, uh, or may once in a while touch upon it. Um, that, then you get to the second issue, is it remote or peripheral? Well, in the statute before us, the measure of the employer's liability depends on a calculation based on the plan. Yes. Which is why you say it relates. Yes. I submit that the same happens in the hypothetical tax statute, where for some employees to figure uh, their tax, they have to calculate the benefits they receive from the plan. I don't see the difference. Well, I think the, the difference is, Your Honor, that they only dealt with health insurance benefits. In other words, they didn't say all benefits that the employer gives two-thirds. They said we're going to have special treatment of covered ERISA plans. And so we're going to give the special benefit based only on those employers who give a covered ERISA benefit. It's not that you have to look to the plan because there, there clearly are some general application statutes that you have to look to the plan, and yet it's a general application statute and may have a peripheral remote effect. It's that they singled it out for special treatment. Now, I would submit that even if they hadn't singled it out, we'd probably end up with the same result because, uh, uh, you know, the health benefits is so great a part of the package the employer gives that if you simply said give two-thirds of all benefits, um, you, you, would you would have more than a remote or peripheral effect. Well, I Mr. Postal, yes. uh, it isn't as clear to me as it is to you, apparently, that 3.1 includes in its definition uh, of plan uh, the situation where the, the state simply says you shall provide $10,000 health insurance benefits to each and every employee. Uh, I think you could read that definition as dealing with plans uh, that were already at the state's effort to affect somehow a plan that was already in existence. I don't think it necessarily covers uh, something simply created by the state. Your Honor, I think the, the, the definition simply says certain these types of benefits, and then Section 3.4a uh, then says if the employer provides these. So Section what? 4a. Uh, so, well, you you say it's clear to you. It it, it isn't to me. Well, Your Honor, it, it, I will say this: it, it doesn't matter for our case because I don't think there's any dispute that health insurance is a covered ERISA plan, so I don't think this well, court... But if, if, if you're wrong on that point, uh, a, a state statute which simply brings into existence uh, a benefit uh, isn't the same as a state statute that's dealing with a plan which already confers benefit. Sure. Your Honor, but, but in our case, we already... The health insurance is not... The covered health insurance is not something the state mandated. So, no, it's for it to come under Your Honor's hypothetical, the state would not only have to first have the law they now want, but they'd also have to have another law that says we are requiring this health insurance. The, what they are relating to is a voluntary health benefit plan. No, I, 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 I can see your point there, but it seems to me that your answer to the hypothetical about uh, state law requiring furnishing of insurance ben or health benefits to every employee uh, is, is not nearly as clearly correct as, as perhaps some of your other positions. Well, Your Honor, I think my, my only point then would be that, that it, it doesn't matter for the disposition of this case because what they are relating to 
is a voluntary health insurance, which everyone agrees comes under 3.1 and 4A. Let me just go back, because I'm, sure, I'm not quite sure what your position is. Could the district, in your view, pass a statute requiring all employee, employers to provide health insurance for, for people on workman's compensation? Health, but, and it was in defining the, the level of benefit. They just, although the statute just says every employer in the district must provide certain minimum health insurance coverage for its employees who are receiving workman's compensation. Yes. They could, they, they could do that. But why wouldn't that be mandating an ERISA plan? Because every because, health insurance coverage plan isn't. Because that plan is only to comply with a workers' compensation law. Oh, I see. So and that comes within the, def- the exception. Okay. Yes. And it's, I mean, where they went wrong in this case is they wanted, they, they wanted to tie the benefits to the covered ERISA plan. And that's the great mistake of this case. Because what, they've done, what they will do then is encourage employers not to, not to provide those health insurance benefits to begin with. Although you say that they can do that, so long as they only linked it to, didn't, didn't mention health insurance benefits specifically, I find that a curious, uh, a curious thought. If they had just said pay, pay to the uh, disabled employee one-third of all benefits of all sorts received from the employer. Okay, that's a different question. Then I thought you said that that, that would be okay. No, yeah. Again, if I footnote uh, seven in our brief, page thirty-five, deals with that. And what I said there was that's a closer question because if they could, if they just said one third of all benefits, now I've got a general application statute. But then the second question is: Is the effect only remote and peripheral? And I'm not so sure it is. And I would certainly argue, if I had that case, that it isn't, because unlike a tort remedy where a tort remedy, one, is very infrequent, it's not very predictable, and two, it's not the employer who pays the tort remedy, it's a tort feeser. With workers' compensation, I know I'm going to have those work injuries, I know how frequently they're going to occur, and I play for them as employer. So while it's a closer question, I'd still be prepared to argue even that was preempted, but for a different reason, not because it singled out the ERISA statute, but because because it would be a general application statute, but then we get to the second part of the test, and that is, is it remote or peripheral, the effect? Yeah, but where it's different from this case is that in this case, you can say that it does affect ERISA plans because an employer would be, uh, would be uh, disinclined to, uh, to increase the amount of, uh, of ERISA benefits. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not even sure that's part of the test yeah. because the, the remote and peripheral, if you will, saving clause only deals with general uh, application statutes. One, this Court has always said once it's specific, once they single out ERISA coverage, it doesn't matter if the effect's good or bad. The good and bad test only comes, or remote peripheral, only comes about. Um, Thank you, Mr. Postol. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Ms. Muraski, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, first of all, I'd like to point out that the Equity Amendment Act does not single out ERISA-covered plans for tre- special treatment. It treats ERISA-exempt and ERISA-covered plans in the same fashion. And in this respect, it does differ from the statute that this Court um, considered in Mackey, or the exemption to the garnishment statute. Um, The only place in which our workers' compensation law does mention ERISA-covered plans is, of course, in the uh, provision of our law that permits uh, workers' compensation benefits to be uh, integrated with... uh, benefits provided under ERISA-covered plans, and that statute is cited at page 9, note 9 of our reply brief. Uh, No one has suggested that this aspect of the statute, um, which does specifically refer to ERISA-covered plans, is preempted by ERISA. Two, I think in this case, um, the Board of Trade is using ERISA as a sword to, to invalidate valid workers' compensation laws and not as a shield. If we were to abolish our workers' compensation system and allow uh, employers to be sued uh, based on a showing simply of negligence, and we could even eliminate the affirmative defenses that an employer otherwise would have, all employees who could, who were injured on the job in the District of Columbia and who could establish negligence, or I suppose we could even you know, employ a standard of strict liability, each one of those employees could recover as part of his damages, not only wages lost and the cost of treating the injury or illness, but the value of health benefits lost. Our workers' compensation merely reflects that. It imposes liability, 
when there's a work-related injury, and the remedy is measured by what an employee otherwise receives. The last point I would like to, or two other points, there's some suggestion here that uh, somehow our law is invalid, our amendment is invalid because it's somewhat innovative. Um, the court uh, rejected a similar argument, not only in metropolitan life, but in the uh, 1988 case of Goodyear Atomic Corporation against Miller. Um, that case is also interesting because it involves a workers' compensation law, and an unusual one uh, that was applied to the United States itself, um, pursuant to a congressional enactment. I think that case uh, establishes two things. Congress's great deference um, to the states in managing their own workers' compensation uh, uh, plans, and that innovative workers' compensation laws are, are not prohibited. Finally, if I could just mention COBRA for a moment. Um, the United States has argued that COBRA uh, affects this court's analysis in two ways. Uh, one is on the relates to point. It says that because COBRA affects ERISA-covered plans by this continuation of coverage. Uh, Thank you, Ms. Maraski. You're welcome, Your Honor. Uh, the case is submitted.